And there we go, everyone. We are back again for another fantastic and gruesome conversation on Friday Night Counter-Attack for me, especially this week. Uh, it's a lovely day. It's been lovely weather this week and it's been an awful week for a Manchester United fan. We're losing in behind closed doors, friendlies against Burnley. We're losing away at Tottenham. Uh, Harry Maguire is still here at the club and it's not been great in terms of our performances on the pitch as well. It looks like we've spent around 120 million pounds and got worse over the summer so i'm going to continue that narrative because they're not even playing any better than what we've seen previously which ain't great at all um but what is great is our special guest that we've got today so before we in introduce our special guest i introduce our co-host as always travis it's good to see you my friend how are you doing today not too bad a little bit achy after football foot golf yesterday but we move we move indeed that was a crazy game of foot golf and we're going to be talking about that um in the next couple of weeks as well which would be good fun so Keith, good to see you again my friend thanks for coming to foot golf yesterday did you enjoy yourself there we go so, dude, so yeah amazing uh, amazing uh, foot golf session yesterday with lads so uh, yeah great to see you many more to join us soon in the future It'd be a uh, great yeah, definitely. It'll be good fun indeed. Um, and yeah, our special guests, we've got two very special guests today. So I'm looking forward to hearing a lot about them in this early part of the podcast. First of us, first of all, we've got Grace Merritt joining us today. So Grace is someone who, um, unfortunately for me, is a Liverpool fan, but she's got quite an extraordinary journey in terms of how she's kind of making match days at Anfield her own. So Grace, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners and to our guests in terms of what you're kind of doing with Match Day Gab and everything you've got going on so far? Yeah, no worries. So hello, everyone. Thank you for having me. Um, so my name is Grace and I'm originally from Barcelona, but I moved to Liverpool when I was five. And yeah, I'll tell you the story from along there. So I'm a host and a presenter and I do my own match days, but I'm also being accepted for the Stephen Gerrard Academy when I'm doing sports media. Um, and basically how it come about was last year, I went on a documentary for BBC and it was involving the Champions League and what went wrong with it. So Layla Wright, the um, producer of it, she was like, oh, can you say your piece and stuff like that? And I love like, the production, being a part with the football media. And because I've always loved the industry, it, it's just always been my favourite thing, you know, going the matches since I was two, till like going home and away. And yeah, it's the best. And with the match they got, we speak to fans like from literally everywhere and we bring each other together because we've got fans from literally worldwide. So it's nice to like get their opinions, what they're up to, how where, where they found to be a Liverpool fan and what comes here. And then also I am um, I'm a partnership with the um it's called the Sunday Walk. Um basically it's a men's mental health. So after Paris, a lot of people suffered with the mental health badly, um, where they wouldn't go to games, where they couldn't speak, they couldn't communicate. But I made sure that everyone got together. We were able to raise money um, for people and, you know, fund a lot of stuff back to them, you know, in regards to, you know, trips that they did pay on and stuff like that. But, yeah, um, it's nice to, you know, help people and make sure that they've got a voice. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Friday Night Counter-Attack, we're coming up to our third anniversary in October. And this started during the pandemic in terms of getting people's voices on in terms of men's mental health. Because what brings football, what brings men's mental health together than anything but football, really? And that's how people get to talk about their um, feelings on their team, their emotions. And they get to really talk about it in the open as opposed to like texting and writing and with everything. It doesn't really release it as well as talking about it. And just like with your Sunday walk that you're doing, it's just great work that you're doing out in Liverpool. And especially congratulations with your Stephen Gerrard Academy as well, Grace. It looks like you're you're killing it right now in Liverpool, which is crazy to see. Yeah. We'll, see you on, we'll be seeing you on Sky Sports soon, which will be crazy. Uh, but no, nicely done there, Grace. Fingers crossed it'll be good. Someone else who hopefully will be on Sky Sports soon or BBC Sports <laughs> soon. Uh, this is this is a nice moment for me because uh, back in May, um, I got to go to a Razor Game conference with Kick It Out at the Emirates Stadium. And I got to have a couple of meetings with a few different people who were considered mentors um, at this event. For someone like me who's looking to get further and further in the uh, football media industry, I had a mentor, um, one like three or four I had. And one of them was Joshua. So Joshua, if you'd like to introduce yourself, besides being my mentor and me being your favourite mentee, um, <laughs> what is it you're doing in football media and how are you going about it so far? So welcome, Joshua, to the podcast. And I'm glad you um, took the time to take it, um, to have a conversation with us today. No, no problem at all. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to the show. So I'm Joshua Dongo. I'm a uh, freelance commentator, mainly for BBC Sports, a lot of final score, a lot of women's Super League, on Five Live Sports Extra, covered the Premier League for Sky News Radio, um, and World Feed for EFL. So those are kind of my my companies that I Dodwin every weekend, midweek, um, going to grounds, Stockley Park where the referees are. Um, and yeah, I've been commentating now freelance for best part of six years. Been the BBC now for seven. And yeah, just trying to build up up to hopefully be, you know, do Premier League week to week by week. Full nineties, really. So, so, so you yeah. were the one at Stockley Park on the weekend that gave um, Alexis McAllister the red card. Then, <laughs> you know, yeah. I wasn't there on Saturday. I was at Reading Stevenage. I hope. <laughs> I wish yeah. I was at Stockley Park, and I would have told him not to overturn it. <laughs> but no, no, no. Yeah, no. No handlings with the referees. No, nah, that's all sure. good. You're not you're not sneaking into the VAR room just in case. Just in case. No, you're no, no. I haven't, got, I haven't got the uniform. They they all wear the EA Sports uniform shorts, oh, okay. socks, leggings, and everything. So you know a referee when you see them. <laughs> when you they have to wear that at Stockley Park as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they all come in their meetings and having their coffees and that. It's quite funny. Gosh, no. yeah. That's good to hear that. But no, Joshua, <laughs> um, keep doing what you're doing as well. It's great to Thank hear you. And I'm looking forward to your thoughts on this week's podcast, which will be great fun. And we're going to start off with, um, we're going to start off with Grace, actually. Um, we're going to talk about how, basically with Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool Football Club, how they're kind of doing this season so far. You're missing quite a lot of midfielders. You're missing quite a lot of experience in that team as well. But you've, you've kind of got off to a good start. Four points so far as well. Doing really well against Chelsea. That was a really attacking side. Um, the Bournemouth game was a good comeback at home at Anfield as well. I just want to know your first thoughts on how Jurgen Klopp can strengthen the side before um, the end of the summer transfer window, Grace. Yeah, so Liverpool have been hit and miss um, since last season. Obviously, the season before, we were one point away of winning the Premier League. And that's been a lot of rebuilds, a restructure. You know, we're bringing out a lot of new players on. And I do, don't think that we haven't had the time where it's, We've been able to have one-on-one, you know, actual coaching and getting them to where they want to be. So Liverpool at the minute with this season, 
pre-season they did really good um, you know going over to Singapore they beat Leicester they obviously um, lost to Munich but a sort of skillful side last season what we lacked in was the younger the youth players you know I always make this comment is that in our midfield we had Thiago we've got Fabinho these older so knowledgeable very skillful but you need that pace there as well so a younger player from Brighton you've got the Bournemouth you've got Brentford all these younger players that they brought through they're going to outrun Thiago in a heartbeat so with Jürgen he hasn't really had the help from FSG to you know build the side but what Jürgen believes in is that he brings these players on. So, for example, when we brought Jota, I think he was about, I can't remember, I think it was like 13 million for him for Wolves. And we were like, why have we bought him? And he's just grown. And with Klopp's, Klopp's mentorship, it's making people who they actually are. You know, Nunes last season, he had hardly any chances. Um, but he was always so knowledgeable of the ball and where to put it but he was never taking that chances in just on Darwin Nunes as well we spoke about him last week in terms of how he can settle into the into the season so far with Liverpool and because you've got so many attackers there is there a position that you think because Travis and Suki and I we spoke about it last week of where his best position is some of us think left wing some of us think number nine but as as we know with Jürgen Klopp he doesn't replay the number nine anymore playing the Mm -hmm. false nine but um where do you think Darwin Nunes' best position is in this Liverpool side currently? Probably, as you said, I'd say left wing because he's got this shirt on that was Firmino's number nine and he's not living up to it. It's even come with the season that he's only playing, playing for 10 minutes when we knew last season he was playing in in out and constant. And I feel like when we've signed Sebastian, we've got McAllister, we've got Mo. How do you say his name? How do you say his name? Sabosley. Dominic Sabosley. Sabosley. There we go. <laughs> um, we say it different because when I went to the... Um, Is it a Scouse thing that you have to say in a certain way? We've got it because they boss. Do you know when, when Scousers say boss, like that's mm. boss. So like it's just exaggerated to say bo- boss and said, do you get what I mean? It sounds like a cop-out, but I'll give you that one. Sabosley. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, like McAllister and Sebastian have been like amazing how they brought on and then when McAllister got that red card I don't know what use for us but literally 50-50 it was a well being a yellow card not a red card at all so all I'm saying is if that was Casemiro or Granite Xhaka last season that's a straight red I think it was just down to um, they're trying to stay consistent with these high foots now as well which ain't great at all um, yeah but, uh, Nicely done there, Grace. Um, Travis, talk to me about Liverpool as well, after, especially after what Grace said as well. Do they still need a holding midfielder or two or do you reckon Jurgen Klopp's got it in the bag for this season to challenge for that top five position? Uh, they definitely need a holding midfielder for sure. I think um, not so much against Bournemouth at the weekend, but the first game of the season against Chelsea, they were just so open. Um, obviously, they've signed Endo, haven't they, from Stuttgart? Correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. Um, you know, he might solve that problem, but you know, he's 30 years old. He's going to be a stopgap at best. So I think they uh, they probably do need a long-term option. But who that is, is, is anybody's guess, really. Joshua De Silva. Isn't that right, Joshua? <laughs> go for, go to Brentford. Get Joshua De Silva or Matthias Jensen from Brentford. He's a quality player, I think he is. But mm-hmm. Joshua, what, what, Joshua, what do you think about um, 
their alternatives? For Liverpool. For Liverpool. Who would you get in as a holding midfielder? Oh, I think they should have paid the money for Romeo Lavia. I think that's a, it's a big mistake there. Um, I think for Liverpool, there's a real identity crisis in the sense of what how they want to play. I know there's, it's very evident to get a DM, but they had one in Fabinho last year, sort of lost his legs and he's moved on now to Saudi Arabia. But what made Jürgen Klopp's team so good the last four years, the energy, you know, Wijnaldum, even Milner coming in, chipping in, Henderson, Fabinho, they have an amazing attack on paper and it, it connects, you know, Jota, Diaz and, and Salah. The market's really, really tough for, for, you know, central defensive midfielders. Initially, the beginning of the window, it was all about Bellingham getting Jude and Jude will kind of fix the problems um, and I thought we're looking at Jurgen Klopp to try to find a solution within I think the endo signing makes sense um, you want someone that's steady sort of what, not in the same calibre for what we've seen anyway in his career and um, that's not just comparison but something like Man United did last year bought Casemiro and put the plaster in we'll solve the problem um, nine times out of ten Liverpool will do what they did on Saturday they'll beat teams in the below the half but at Stamford Bridge you'll see that you need that defensive cover but do you bring in a Curtis Jones? Do you bring in a Harvey Elliott? And I just think Liverpool have missed their profile of a player. The defensive midfield is a tough, tough place to recruit. We, we are struggling as my United and Chelsea have gone and purchased two of the best available good, youngst- good youngsters. I mean, Moses Carcedo, yes, he gave away the penalty on Sunday. Um, but in this current market, he's worth the money. I'm sorry, he's worth it because it's a game changer. It's, 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 you pay the money, you get the player. And Liverpool, if Liverpool got Moses Carcedo, then they're right back into the picture of Premier League and you know, finishing top four. And that, that's a game-changing sign. At the moment, they're left with a player that's unknown from, from Stuttgart because a week ago, I didn't know who he was. And Grace, did you know who he was? I'm not sure. Everyone, everyone knew who Endo was because when they play football manager or FIFA, they know Endo. And they know him from the World Cup as well. So that's just you, Joshua. <laughs> don't, put no. that on, don't put that on us. Don't put that on us. We all knew about Endo. I didn't know it. I didn't know <laughs> nah, that's, that's good to hear. That's okay. That's all good. And so, just to finalise um, our thoughts on Liverpool as well, we spoke last week about Darwin Nunes. We spoke last week about Mohamed Salah turning up as well. Um, but realistically speaking, is there any other position that Liverpool need to kind of strengthen? In, or do you reckon Trent Alexander Arnold could do a job in centre mid if they then buy a right back, for example? Uh, I mean, it's top hands. I think from what we spoke about last week is, I mean, midfield's key for Liverpool. And we've said that all last season. They, they got overrun constantly every game towards the end of this towards the second half you could just see they're going and I think they one thing I wanted to kind of critique was they were willing to spend 110 million on Kaiseido what's stopping them from signing three players for 40 mil from outside the Premier League to find some youngsters to play in the midfield so it's a bit I'm a bit stuck here where they 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 had money to go spend and now they've been told they're not going to spend anything it's a bit of an awful really feel sorry for Grace really for this one because you just you're just a bit unsure now. Like, are they actually signing a player, or are they just going to leave it and wait till Jan? But like Joshua said, just emphasise that point. It's hard to find CDM now. It's tough, so you're going to have to explore. And I think ending up with Endo probably wasn't their kind of first or second or third choice. Um, it's just going to make things more tough for, for Liverpool. And I think we're going to see that now being a common pattern towards Jan if they don't sign on one. Is that their midfield struggles are just going to have to continue? But playing Trent in that CDM position, I mean, he's great. Don't get me wrong, but trying to get him to focus on the defensive attribute of his side of his game. It's going to be tough for him, just for himself, when he's got two kind of number eights pressing on. So uh, it's, a, it's a tough uh, tough position for Liverpool at the moment. Yeah, sticky situation, I guess. And Grace, just to finalise on this topic of Liverpool, because we all get back to you later on the podcast with your match day preview against Newcastle United. What's your expectations for Liverpool this season so far? And do you expect them to 
crack on with the signings they've made or do you reckon it'll be a kind of a steady season for you? Just first impressions. Yeah, so as we know, we've lost seven players, like all these players that have been here for quite a lot of time. And as we know, in the Premier League, maybe not so us being in the Europa, we need that experience. We need to know who we are playing because we are bringing, you know, McAllister at the end of the day with Winning, like winning it with Argentina, has a really good season with Brighton, um, and I feel like he's got quite a lot of potential. But we've lost seven and only signed two. We really need to get. Um, we've obviously got Enzo, and I went to um, Bournemouth, and he was very shaky, very nervous, and that's that's just the debut. I think he's got so much more. But I just want to comment um, what Joshua said. I feel like. He's 30. We need a long term. We need someone that's got youth and maybe even bringing some of the youngsters. Like we've got Benzo, we've got Tyler Morton back and get them into the cup games, get them into more experience. So I feel like I want to finish top four this season. I've, I've got nothing to worry about Europa. Um, I just feel like some, someone could spring up. Like we, we didn't know about Newcastle, how amazing that they've done. And but I feel like his Champions League football gonna, you know, complicate everything for them. So if you got two more signings, at least I'd be a bit more comfortable. That's because we're not paying one hundred percent. I mean, I mean, there is a player at Manchester United called Scott McTominay. So if you didn't want to spend fifty million on a defensive midfielder, Grace, I'm sure, I'm sure um, right. Eric Hag would want to sell a, a midfielder <laughs> off to Liverpool. He wouldn't mind that rivalry for that sale um, at all. Um, but no, nicely done there, Grace. Thanks to you, everyone, for this part of um, our Liverpool topic. And now it's on to the bit where I don't really want to talk about, but I know Suki and Travis have been waiting all week long to be talking about this bit. It's our reaction to Manchester United versus um, Spurs at White Hart Lane. And I'm just going to say, I, I don't need to say it because I said it at the beginning of the podcast and I said it last week. Like, our midfield is just going to be overrun. And Grace, I'm pretty sure you've dodged a bullet by not signing Mason Mount and going for Alexis McAllister there. So, thumbs up for Jurgen Klopp for that <laughs> as well. Nicely done. Um, unfortunately, Mason Mount is injured until the international break, which isn't great at all. And I don't wish anyone bad um, on on my point of view, from, from a Man United point of view. But Joshua, talk to me about Anthony. Because with Anthony, I want to kind of hear your thoughts. Because... There's been a few players that have come and gone at Manchester United where we spent big money. Um, yeah. They've been in for a while. They've done okay-ish and then they've not really kind of carried on um, in, in their hype or in their, in, their, in their potential that they have. You said earlier about Moises Saicedo being a great signing for £117 million. We signed Anthony for around £89 million with add-ons leading up to £100 million. Pounds. Yeah. There are times where players are doing quite bad at the moment for Manchester United. We've seen Rashford in quite a bit of bad form playing as a striker, clearly not his best position. We've seen Bruno Fernandes out of form. We've seen Casemiro out of form, a bit leggy in midfield and kind of isolated as well. But with those three players, for example, they've kind of got things to fall back on. Marcus Rashford with the 30 goals last season. Bruno Fernandes with the goals he assists, the chances creation last season as well. And Casemiro being the five-time Champions League winner. When they're having bad games, they have things to fall back on. But what does Anthony have to kind of fall back on after another performance that was really bad at Tottenham? Because at 1-0 down, we had a chance straight away afterwards where Anthony was one-on-one with the keeper and instead of just slotting it into the goal, he hits the post. And he was like, we had these clear-cut chances in pre-season he still couldn't finish them. He can't do them in the big games. Is it time to worry about Anthony, do you think, Joshua? 
Yeah, I think the signs have been there from last season. Um, he started really well in terms of statistically, three and three, first ever Premier League. Man United player to score in his first three games. You think about the, all the great players we had in the 90s and the early noughties to, to have that. So you're thinking, OK, maybe there's a player there, especially because the manager's top forward target last summer was Anthony. Yeah, he wanted him over Gakpo uh, last summer. He overpaid heavily. And I, and I think if you look about the last 10 years, post-Fergie, uh, in regards to our signings, I think pound for pound, he probably could be our worst, if I'm being honest with you. But in terms of the impact, the money we've paid... Even more than Maguire and Di Maria. Yeah, but, but, but Maguire's played well in United games and he's contributed to things. You know, under Arnegona Solskjaer, if he, he was never going to be worth 80 million in Maguire. And most of these players like Declan Rice and Carse are not worth that amount that's been paid for them, but they can still do a job. And I think Maguire's done the job. He's not going to be in the same bracket as, say, a Van Dijk or, or a Ruben Diaz and all these defenders in um, this current era. But... For Anthony, offers absolutely nothing. He plays every game. Palestri comes on and you know creates a penalty opportunity every time Palestri comes on. He plays. You, you see something. I, I, it's down to, to the manager, in my in my opinion, because you keep on playing the same person that you bought from Ajax. I look at the the coach, and we'll, we'll go into that, I'm sure later in terms of in, later in the show about May United in a whole. But Anthony, it's, I, I don't see how it can improve. Defenders are starting to realise. I think there was a game, there was a moment in Wolf, the Wolves game where the commentator, the defender, and everybody in the crowd was so surprised that he went on, he cut in on his right foot or he crossed the ball on his right foot and it's like, oh, you can actually do that. And it was, I was, it was at the ground accurate. and I was like, oh my God, what's happening <laughs> yeah. here? He went on the outside, not the inside. Professional football has been playing football now for plus 10 years. So, you know, that right foot probably is not going to be developed enough. And that's a major issue. I look at, for example, if you look at Liverpool's front three, in that game against Chelsea, second You off, look at the benchmark of a right uh, winger. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt, in Mo Salah. Oh, that's, that's, what, that's exactly what I was going to say. Mo Salah Gold standard game, right there. Oh, it was fantastic. You look at the ball in, he should have had a goal if he was onside. And that's him, you know, look at Salah's numbers last year and that's in a poor, you know, season for him. He always contributes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas in Anthony, the numbers statistically are low, his output are low. Sometimes you get forwards who don't get goals and assists, but you know what they can bring to the team. He, he brings nothing. Um, and every... Uh, listen, I think he's probably one of the poorest attackers in the Premier League, if I'm being honest with you. Grace, would you agree with that? Anthony, one of the worst attackers in the top six. Or in the Premier League, I should say. I think Premier League. Top six is kind. Oh, okay. <laughs> Nicely done. Grace, what do you think about Anthony? Grace, you're on mute. Sorry. Rookie just... error. It's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do fully agree with you. I feel like how much he's worth and like how he's been playing in that, he, he hasn't contributed to like any game whatsoever. Good to hear that. And unfortunately, it's bad for me and Joshua to hear that as well. Um, now it's time to hear from the two gleaming guys supporting Tottenham Hotspur. Travis, take it away. Talk to me. How good was Saar? How good was Bissouma? You warned us last week they were good at Brentford. Richarlison still hasn't hit the ground running um, in this Ange system. But take it away, my friend. How good was that midfield? Like you predicted and like we all predicted would overrun Manchester United and you went to town with us in the second half. How was that, Travis? It was the most fun I've had watching a Tottenham Hotspur team since the Pochettino days, really. No more YouTube for you, my friend. You're happy with it. You can watch it live every weekend. Yeah, I'll never have to watch that Ajax game highlights again. Um, but no, you, you, you've hit the nail on the head. Yeah, it was it was just so enjoyable. Um, the midfield battle, I think, was key. Um, 
United did have chances. You know, I think against a better team, we probably would have conceded a couple of goals. I think it says volumes that we had more trouble defending against Brentford last week than we did against Man United. And that's but not no, even that's um, not even you being nice about it as well. Those are facts. They scored, They had more shots on goal than I think we had twenty five shots on goal than you, and like I think six were on target, which is how bad it was. So yeah, so that's that's exactly it. Yeah, there was plenty more shots. Um, in total from United, but on target, I think we both had six shots on target, which yeah, is not a great record. Um, but yeah, like you say, midfield were, were great. Adogi looked fantastic again. The goalkeeper, Vicario, looked unbelievable. He was just so confident and assured. And I think we just, it's ironic saying it considering who's left this summer, but I think if we had a striker in this team, a really good striker, we'd be cooking because the defence looks like they've, got themselves sorted. The midfield looks like we've got just unbelievable amounts of quality on both the wings. We've got good players as well. It's just that number nine position, isn't it? The one that got away at the wrong time, which is crazy. Suki, talk to me. I mean, you've been back in Richarlison ever since and just kind of come in and then since Harry Kane has gone as well. Um, I'm not going to talk about him today. I'm going to talk about how Kulisevsky has kind of fit into Basically, we were talking about right-wingers so far with Antin, with Mo Salah, but with Kulisevsky, Madison and Son Heung-min, is that still a front three behind Richarlison, behind the number nine, that can still create problems against any type of team, against the Jurgen Klopp team, against the Pep Guardiola team, against especially Mikel Arteta as well? Let me hear your thoughts on that, Suki. Oh, yeah, that happens most definitely. I mean, you look at these players, they're very dynamic and they're very interchangeable in their positions. So Kulo, you could play through the middle, you could left Madison can go to the right but what you saw in the United game kind of emphasising the point where you just said there was Madders was was being more so I see that link up play between the two they just kept overbearing Wan-Bissaka and just overloading that kind of left hand side so I think with the front three that Madders and obviously Son and, and Kula, you will see them kind of chop change throughout the game something's working well or let's say we need to drop two number 10s into the positions and leave one further out wide it's it, you know what I mean Andrew's got a really kind of good system there where you can interchange it whenever needed. In that game in United in the second half, you saw Madison drift more out the left and try to attack with Son. And I think with, with the two wingers sticking right on the byline, you could see that Madison was getting straight away from the centre-back and that, that opened a lot of space for us. And we, I think what we saw with the two goals that we had came through from that other side. So, uh, yeah, I think with Ange, with the, with the players that he's got, very interchangeable. And I think with Solomon being on the bench as well, another player that can be interchangeable, playing right, playing left or playing in the middle. Uh, but I think we've got to give him, especially with Richarlison in that system, because I don't think he gets the service that he needs. But I think just give it a bit more time, let it embed into the system and you'll start seeing more goals. And I think for him, he'll start earning his confidence when he plays against the kind of like bottom half of the team table um, and score a couple of goals and then try and kick start from there. What you see is like, Week. He's not like a typical target man striker. He's more like off the, off the kind of into the channels, off the centre back, running in behind. Uh, but just going to give him time yet, and I think he'll come good. Yeah, no, it's good to hear that as well. Um, but yeah, one player I want to talk about, and this is kind of our start bench of the week. Um, Travis was very vocal about Vicario being their new number one after Hugo Loris has kind of left Spurs after a good number of years serving them as their goalkeeper and as their club captain as well. Vicario Joshua, I think, was amazing in that game especially when you're talking about the save he made against Casemiro his commanding presence in the box as well and I think there's a lot more to come from Vicario um, but realistically speaking 
we have to we have to have a start bench so of the week including Vicaro. So this is for everyone playing, um, everyone at home listening in, you can play along as well. So start bench so of the week is gonna be Andre Onana, Manchester United's keeper. We're gonna go for Vicario from Spurs, and we're gonna go for another new keeper in Roberto Sanchez. Grace Allison is already too good, so we're not gonna put him in because everyone will be starting <laughs> Allison. So don't worry about Allison. He's on a different level completely. But um you know what, Joshua, talk to us. Talk to us. Who's your start bench? So, do you think Andre Onana is a real deal for Manchester United after a place? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start with Onana. I think Vicari had a really good, solid home debut. He looked weak against Brentford. Um, everybody was talking about Onana's penalty claim against Wolves, but in the Brentford game, I can't remember who the striker was. I think it was Shad in the second half ran on and Vicari took him out. There was no calls for a penalty there. Um, so it looked like a shaky debut for him. But in the second game, it was fantastic. You know, calm and assured, good saves. Even the Rashford one where Antti actually does something and slips him in. It's a good save at, near, at his near post. You know, that can go through him. Um, so I think Vicario will grow into it. We still need to see, you know, how he's like with the ball, on the ball. You know, he's probably stronger with his shot saving. Um, he had a weak pre-season. I'm sure the Tottenham <laughs> boys will agree on that. Some of the saves weren't um, tidy from him. So I, I would go Onana. You know, Champions League experience, Champions League final experience, very good. The pass he played for Ganacho in the game. You know, if Ganacho looks up, he can find a player that can lead to a goal. And he made some good saves also when Spurs cut us open. Uh, I would put on the bench for Cario. And I would sell Robert Sanchez. I'm I'm astonished that Chelsea have gone and purchased Robert Sanchez. If you look at the goals that Chelsea have conceded in their, both their games, you look at the new the Diaz goal for Liverpool. He should know where he's putting that. He's outstretching his leg. Um, the Mikel Tonio goal, he's right-footed. Where else can he smash the ball in when he's running on? So yeah, I, I'm, I, I've never read Robert um, Sanchez anyway, so that's an easy one for me to sell him. Nah, that's okay. Agree or disagree, Travis? What are we going for? Um, I'd love to uh, to to back my guy, Vicario, but how can you not start uh, the goalkeeper who played in the Champions League final last season? Uh, so yeah, totally agree. Um, I think one of the best moments for Man United from the game at the weekend, although there weren't many, was a pass that Anana made from... Um, the edge of his own box, right up to, I believe, Garnacho on the left wing. Yeah. Um, just completely cut out the whole Tottenham team. Garnacho's in fields of space. And the key difference with Onana and De Gea is y- you never would have seen that from De Gea. It just wouldn't have happened. Um, so, yeah, I, I would start Onana, definitely. Um, I think Vicario will have more of a shout against him by the end of the season. But, yeah, I'd start Onana, bench Vicario. And again, I completely agree with everything Joshua said about Sanchez. You know, the fact that Chelsea have spent actual great British pounds on a goalkeeper who lost his place in the team to Jason Steele last season <laughs> just speaks volumes about how crazy their transfer strategy is. So, yeah, start uh, start an honor, bench Vicario, sell Sanchez. Agree or disagree, Suki? Any changes in that? No, literally, Travis got it spot on there. I'll do the exact same exact same points. I think the, Sanchez, like Joshua said, it was, so, it was just so outrageous. They spent 20 mil on a keeper that got dropped by Jay Steele, of all goalkeepers at right and right. And uh, I think Onana, his record speaks for itself, but like a good case for that is that Vicario's best season embedded in that. Hopefully, we might be having a bit of a shout between Onana versus Vicario towards the end. Uh, but again, with Onana, with that kind of system that you're not trying to play, you've got the perfect goalkeeper for that. It's just a shame that human brothers are not receptive enough to receive them on the halfway line when he's ready to pass it to them. So uh, hopefully they come good at some point. But yeah, you've got to you've got to go with that. Nicely done, um, Grace. 
you're probably looking at us thinking, how sad are these guys talking about goalkeepers when we've got one of the best goalkeepers in world football? These lot are living in 2017 when we had a goalkeeper that can play out the, from the back. Would you make any changes um, from that start bench? So who would you go for, Grace? You're still on mute again. Sorry, I need to stop doing that. That's a lot of lessons to get on. But yeah, I, I wish I could disagree with everyone because it's nice to have your own opinions. Um, but Onana, like, he's unbelievable. And the amount of experience, like, for example, Alison's the same. I can see some similarities and I feel like the more he develops, the more he's with the team. It'll be great. But like, I saw rumours um today about maybe he could go back to his Cameroon national team. So that would be like a really big loss for you. Um, Sanchez, Fonseca and Goodwill. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't think he's that good. But like, as I say with Liverpool, we're so lucky to have Alisson because defensive-wise and goalie-wise, we've never had... Like, Zudek was the only, you know, he saved us that, but we've never had an Alisson. And um, yeah... I agree with everyone else. Nah, that's good to hear. And with Andre Onana as well, um, when compared to some of the Premier League um, goalkeepers, the data shows that Onana has a better save percentage than both Alisson and Edison um, oh, okay. compared to compared to his time in the Serie A. And obviously, Alisson was bought from the Serie A. Obviously, he was at Roma before Liverpool bought him. And it goes to show that sometimes uh, buying keepers from abroad will always be a, a better thing than sometimes buying keepers, keepers from the Premier League with... Robert Sanchez as well. And I'm really looking forward to seeing a lot more from Vicario and hopefully he can be a mainstay in this Spurs side going forward. But like you said, if he does, if Onana does go back into um, the Cameroon national side, that might mean we lose him for the African Cup of Nations. So that is a big miss for Manchester United yes. as well because it's a big drop-off from Andre Onana to Tom Heaton or Andre Onana to Dean Henderson who might be on his way out um, as our backup keeper as well. But again, as Travis said um, earlier... Is he still being played in general? It's still being played in Jan, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you might lose Sar as well and a couple of other players for you for you guys as well. Um in yeah, yeah Sen Senegal, which uh, would be crazy. I think if like Mo Salah keeps getting put on the bench and like if he hasn't had his performance well, I think Klopp will consider him like putting him as a sub at each game and he'll just go right to Saudi. I can just see that coming. Really. No way. No way. Imagine him playing for Gerrard and Henderson in the same team. It's like he never left Liverpool. Exactly. It's crazy, isn't it? It's like a domino effect. And like, I don't know if you talk about Saudi Arabia and like the football that's going to happen with there. We know Saudi Arabia at the minute. They are famous for the oil rigs. You know, they've got the this trillion, trillions amount of money. And now they're turning that into tourism. So now they're bringing, you know, a little bit. Liverpool players, the Ronaldos, the Messi's and everything like that. And I feel like Saudi Arabia, it won't be a history of, you know, look what we've won. It's going to be quite a history of Greece. I don't know if anyone agrees with me. But... All I'm saying is I'm out there trying to get a job in Saudi Arabia in, in football oh, media as well. Okay. So we're trying to take um, Friday Night Counter-Attack to Saudi Arabia. You've heard it here first. I'm joking, you've not heard it here first. So, <laughs> nah, it's, it's one of those things that... It's, it's one of those things that because we, we've said it previously as well in the summer that before when it was like England as like the mainstay of the, the the richest league in world football for someone else to come along and do that 
we've tried we've seen it with Russia for a bit we've seen it in a few countries like Spain for example as well we've seen it in China China never really lasted long but with Saudi Arabia as well the fact that now you've got loads of players wanting to go over there to start afresh it just means more development for English players and I think that's the what? benefit personally because you're going to have more youngsters coming through more youngsters representing and it means the development of a national side as well and the best thing is when you're seeing that from um a Liverpool point of view a Man United point of view a Spurs point of view who already develop their own players it means other teams around like your Everton's like your Luton Towns for example they'll be developing more players instead of buying them as well and it goes to show how much football will develop from there as well and we saw that when China came through but a lot of players from England developed because people going off to China to the USA because they will need players at the end of the day and yeah. hopefully they hopefully they'll need football hosts who can speak Arabic like yours truly so hopefully that yeah. comes about soon which yeah, will be no, good that's a really good point there, definitely. Yeah, as, as as a lot of people want to put negative spins on it, there's a lot of positives and it goes to show that there's always uh, different ways to look at it, different lenses to look through, which will be good fun. But I don't think Mohamed Salah will go to Saudi Arabia. If if he does, I'll definitely message you, Grace. Like, you were <laughs> right. Kidding. You were right as well. Um, but yeah, that was probably the easiest start bench sell um, of this season so far, which ain't too bad. Now it's time for Scout Hams, where I get to talk about my favourite Wonder Kid of the Week and for everyone to kind of been watching um, over the season as goes by. For our guests that don't know what it is, it's basically where I basically like call out a youngster across Europe or across world football. And then within two, three months, they become like big superstars because I've been watching them from afar. Um, so it's happened with Darwin Nunes, Grace. It's happened with um, Anthony, unfortunately, uh, Joshua as well. So let's see what I've got with this one. So this week, I'm going to be talking to you guys all about Andreas Schöldjerup. So he's a Norwegian international who's been playing in the Danish league who recently transferred over to Benfica. So he's got six caps for the Norwegian um, youth teams as well, uncapped at men's level so far as well. He's a left winger and he can play as a striker and as a attacking midfielder as well. He made his debut in the Danish league at 16 years of, of age. £9 million transfer to Benfica. And I'm thinking he's going to be one of these new Benfica players where we've seen time and time and time again, they buy these youngsters from across the world. Like we've seen with Brighton now who are doing it so commonly in the Premier League. Benfica have been doing it for years. They'll buy youngsters from around the world and they'll turn up into global superstars and they'll turn up into really expensive sales for them as well. Darwin Nunes was a big one. We've seen Angel Di Maria, David Luiz, Ramirez. The list will go on. And I keep saying, Suki, you need to keep reminding me, man. We need to do a whole podcast on how Portuguese football sells so many big players from South America onto the world. And that's crazy from them in terms of what they do. I'm definitely thinking Andreas will be another one of these players um, going forward as well, which will be good fun. Um, but yeah, next part of the podcast is our Premier League player focus. So this is where our video editors get to choose for, our, choose for us players to talk about on this week's podcast. So now we've got Two to talk about, really. We normally would have three, but we've got two. One is Brian and Buemu from Brentford, and one of them I'll mention later on just to keep it keep it moving. But Grace, talk to us about Brian and Buemu, Brentford winger, French international as well, coming up to it, and he's like 22, 23 years old. We saw Manchester City were linked with Jeremy Doku, potentially going for a, um, a deal by the end of the week as well. Would Brian and Buemu make it into a top six side with the form that he's had over the last year and a bit? What do you think, Grace? Yeah, so... I have seen him play um, and I feel like he is very skillful, very young and being able to, you know, develop and play in the Premier League and he's French. And I think with him doing international football, that would be good. 
So for them to be at Brentford, these these teams, like when Tottenham was playing Brentford, they drew, didn't they? And when I saw them play, I was like, oh my God, unbelievable. But I feel like, yeah, it, it could be like a good, good sign for Man City if they're able to. Yeah, definitely. And Suki, talk to me a bit about um, how, obviously we've spoken about Ivan Tony not being there at Brentford until January uh, Brandon Bowman scored three goals in two games already this season. Is he going to be taking most of the goal scoring responsibility? Him and Whistler up front. What do you reckon about that, Suki? Oh, without a doubt. I think when you watch Brentford play, they play with a five at the back, flat five, and then a three-two. And you're seeing Bowman and Whistler play at the top. I think there was an interesting start. I think I don't know if Travis remembers it when we when the game kicked off on Sky Sports that without Ivan Tony, they've only lost one game without him. So playing Whistler and and, and Bueno does work. In, the, in that kind of formation so uh, but the thing is with, with players like that like Embuena, it's it depends on the system playing I think if you put him in City where it's more possession based will you see the same type of player it's, it's different I think it's the same when you see other big players that come in they've got the physical attributes to play and push up the pitch they've got pace or they've got amazing hold up play but could they do it in a, in a City kind of tactical team or could they do it with United it's always a bigger what if and what they can do so I think when you're saying with players like that into six, they're not because you can see sometimes you get flops, you get some people that are really good that hit the ground running, uh, and it is a kind of question mark about what if. And I think I'll correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know what his age is, but he's like 26, 27. No, he's like 22, 23. He's quite young still. He's, he's, young, he's about 24. He's about 24. That's a way to remember it, Travis. <laughs> I mean, there, you nice go. there you go. There you go. That's another interesting one. If he did like two years and then he made that big move to like, like you say, like City. It could it could happen, right? And I think just watching him against Brentford, uh, against Tottenham, sorry, and looking at Travis, this, he absolutely ran as ragged, didn't he? The way that they kept who from the ball up top, and he just gave problems to uh, Mickey Van Der Ven. So uh, he's definitely a quality player. And I think when you look at Brentford this season, he's going to score a lot more about their goals. And I think with Wissa holding up the ball, getting those flick-ons and those headers, you're going to see him score a lot more. And I reckon he does get to, to 10 prem goals, I reckon, this season. We'll definitely see it. What do you think, Travis? Is this the season for Brian and Wemo to turn up? Yeah, I'm a huge fan. I think he had a great season last season, to be fair. Um, we were looking, uh, I was looking at him um, a little bit earlier on today, obviously in preparation for the pod today. And I'd always assumed that the reason that he'd not been even linked with a big move since Brighton got to the Prem was that he was a bit older. I assumed he was sort of 29, 30, something like that. You just uh, looked at his beard. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, he doesn't look 24, does he? That's that's exactly it. But yeah, he's he's 24, just turned 24 as well a couple of weeks ago. He's he's not old at all, and it does make me wonder. You know, the the players that are at these bigger clubs at the minute, um, in those positions on the wing, we mentioned Anthony and the the troubles that he's had, and obviously City have lost Mares this summer as well. It does make me wonder whether a team like City or United or someone like that should take a punt on him. I think I think he's been fantastic since he came to the Prem. And I think to play in Tony's shadow and play so well is really impressive. I mean, I'd take him at Tottenham. I'd snap your hands off for him. I think if he came to Spurs, I'd probably start him over Kulisevsky tomorrow. No way. No, you wouldn't. You definitely would I think I would, genuinely. I think I would. I, I love Kulisevsky, don't get me wrong, but Mbouma is more of a goal threat. It's just plain and simple. And that's what we need at the moment. We haven't got a goal threat and he is absolutely that every time he's played against Tottenham that I've watched him he's run our defence ragged he usually does score against Spurs to be fair he usually has a great game every time he plays us 
Um, I just think he's brilliant, yeah. And I think this season, with Tony being missing for the first few months, like you mentioned earlier, um, it's going to be his time to to step out of that shadow and step into the spotlight. Now it's time for Joshua to step into the spotlight because you've got to talk about Mbwemu and our next player in a row. If you can find. <laughs> uh, so Joshua, again with Brian Mbwemu, we spoke about Anthony not really dealing with it. We've seen the gold standard in Mohamed Salah. We've seen someone like Bukayo Saka turn up as well. Out of the right wingers in the Premier League, do you reckon Brian Mbwemo is in that top five? And if so, how do you think he can improve his game this season? Because like Suki said earlier, it may he may not suit a possession style of play. He may suit a counter-attacking counter style of play because that means he has less time on the ball. He has less time to think about what he wants to do. His decision-making decision making is a lot quicker as well. What do you think about Brian Mbwemo so far? And is yeah, he in that top five bracket? Yeah, it's always difficult. I think he's up there. There's definitely in the right. I mean, right midfield is a difficult profile now uh well a couple a couple of years ago and heading into the season um but it's always difficult to make that step up to the top six side because you have more of the ball you know if you look at someone like Pasuma shining for the first two games we'll see a bigger kind of package of what he can do this season but last year he struggled but in Brighton he was the best player in that Brighton in that Brighton team um Brentford do a lot of you know, great play comes through counter-attacking um they've actually scored Burma and Whistler every game Bob one I think it's the last day of the season when they beat uh, Manchester City, they scored every time that Alvin Tony hasn't been playing for them, as long as they've only lost one game or so. I never so knew really, that. That's crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, which is a surprise. It's only 16 games or so, but they're prolific, but the system works. And when you do, look at someone like Jack Grealish, he was so impressive, Aston Villa. He was like a maverick. He'd run with the ball, he'd cut it on the right or the left. Goes to Manchester City and he's a bit robotic. And you don't see that style. You become sort of system over flair. That's a lot of what Pep Guardiola has put into the Premier League. Football's losing their Mavericks right now. We've oh, seen, we've seen that week that. in, week out. Losing, you're, you're being kind. I think it's lost, <laughs> if I'll be honest with you. But to win. This um, is why I watch but, European football. You see players like Isco still balling out at Real Betis, yeah. which is quite nice to see. Vinicius Jr. Um, you've seen that with Florian Wirtz at Bayern Leverkusen. But the Premier League is very system-based as well. Uh, more manager-focused than player-focused, yeah. definitely. But I think, I think it could work out. I think Spurs would be the best... Um, fit for him in terms of the new management there but just traditionally how you know Tottenham play and how Tottenham like their forwards to play um, I think that'd be a, a wise move but if and even, even Liverpool because Liverpool high intensity football as Grace said in the show with Jota um, someone like that can be you know, slotting quite nicely so I think you can make the step up it's just about what the setup is uh, and, and at the time and the different pressures of course because whatever happens with Brentford win and They'd be in a top six side, it's great. If they lose, if you're a Brentford fan, you care, but you can move on to the next game. It's different when you play for a big six side because, you know, we've vilified Anthony already in this, in this podcast. If Mboma has a bad game, we're going to say the same thing. So it's a different, difficult fish. Yeah, definitely is. It's like comparing Lewis Hamilton to like Alex Albon. It was crazy pressure <laughs> uh, for any Formula 1 fans out there as well. And yeah, second player that we're focusing on this week as well. Um, we are focusing on another winger and it's a winger that I think... We've said it before, is every neutral, is every fan's favourite neutral player, Kaoru Mitoma. We are going back to Japan. Sorry, we're not talking about Endo here, Grace. But um, um, Joshua, talk to me about Kaoru Mitoma being one of the best dribblers to sit, to this, uh, statistically and officially in the Premier League as well. How have you been impressed with him after being at Brighton and Hove Albion for one season so far and really just turning up in these Premier League games in these amazing moments, dribbling past some of these players like he did against Wolverhampton Wanderers and especially because Brighton and Hove Albion are going to be in European football this season for the first time this century. What's your thoughts on yeah, Tatoma? Yeah, he's been fantastic, hasn't he? Especially this calendar year. Um, January, February, March, unplayable. 
everybody put him in his in your fantasy teams. I remember the goal he scored against Liverpool in the FA Cup, which was excellent last minute. Um, and then even a goal on Saturday. There was a bit of a period at the end of the season where he went a bit quiet. He wasn't performing as consistently. He wasn't, you know, showing up in the assist or the goals. And he started the season lightning, absolutely lightning. You talk about Burma, he, he is, you know, there's a debate to be had if he's the best player outside the top six. Um, not many top six players can do what he did on the weekend, you know. And what a find once again from Brighton, what they're good at making it work as well. It's, it's easy to go pick a good, a good youngster or, you know, someone that isn't from a you know, European territory and bring them in and adapt. But to make them play so well, credit has to be given to, to Brighton, the backroom staff. They, they lose Graham Potter, they bring in the Zerbi and, you know, he comes in. We're talking about Robert Sanchez gets removed, you know, still comes in. Evan Ferguson, we can name 100 Brighton players that we didn't know a year ago have come through and are shining. Matoma is probably the, the gem of them all. Um, because he has that end product and he's easy to watch in the eye and, he, and he's an enjoyable, enjoyable player. Definitely is. It's so fun to watch and so enjoyable. Um, especially, unfortunately, when you play against him, sometimes it's just like painful just watching him. It's like <laughs> like a world-class player is coming. But um, Grace, earlier we were speaking about Mohamed Salah being the gold standard of wingers as well. How far away is Kawuru Mitoma in terms of being one of the best wingers in the Premier League? Is he nearly there? Is he quite far away? What's your thoughts, Grace? Um, I'd say... Yes, nearly there. You know, he does have this skillfulness and he, he is at every game. And being mind, he's only like 25, 26. And Brighton is a really good, you know, team to develop at. So I'm mates with the chairman. And when I spoke to them, he said... You're what? You're, who? How? So um, he saw me the documentary I was on and... He invited me and my family to the box. And no way. Yeah, we met some Paul Barber, lovely fella. His wife's a sculptor. Tell you a little funny story. So his wife's from Crosby, so that's just like in the centre of Liverpool. And basically, he said, like, what happens in the Champions League? Like, we want you to have a nice time here. So he invited us. So we were like, oh, where's your wife? We'd want to meet, meet her. She was in the away ends with all the fans. She no didn't way. We're all like, we, they were saying, what, what was they, the mayor of London there, like John Barnes, like all, all people like that. It was like crazy. Like it was that good. But what I'm saying about Brighton is that they bring these players on and I feel like he is close to Mo Salah because Mo at the minute, he's very, he's very old and wise. But in terms of football, he has, you know, got back three seasons ago he was on fire but sometimes he's hit and miss and he never used to be like that um, yeah but I feel like Brighton would it'd be a shame if they lost them definitely I'm scared for us playing Brighton in the Europa like I actually am <laughs> they beat us twice no three times last season <laughs> That was a funny moment as well, especially with that replay that had to be played as well with Brighton and Liverpool. Because I was like, "No way is that the case? That was never a foul." And unfortunately, yeah. it was, which is which is crazy as well. But no, that's a nice story. I know you've got some mad connections, Grace. It's insane. Yes, uh, I've got some lovely connections and footballs like that. Though it's like you meet amazing people through it. You know, you you have people that go what is football about it's only men kicking around with a football but there's so much more to it isn't it like with United you know you've got the biggest fan base ever and then with Liverpool that's why we clash a lot it's like empowering for both very tribalist but it's, it's like you said when you meet some amazing people 
wink wink joshua as you can yeah. as you can see um, yeah thank you very happens. much thank you very much <laughs> no you're welcome it's all good and obviously travis you're going to talk to me about karuru mitoma and somehow you know his family to beat that story from grace as well because you somehow spent like three years in japan before we met so um yeah travis talk to me about your fake story about mitoma and how well he's been doing and realistically speaking he's probably one of the few kind of mavericks dribbling mavericks because we don't see a lot of dribblers now in the premier league um, especially from the information that you pulled up earlier. Is that right, Travis? I never told you about the time Matoma pulled me out of a burning building, Hamza. You never told me that? Nah. Which burning building was it? <laughs> uh, no, he's, he's, he's fantastic, isn't he? Um, I think Joshua briefly mentioned it earlier, how, how good he is uh, sort of on the eye. There's not many players, uh, in my opinion, that, that pass the eye test so strongly um, and have the stats to back it up as well. Um, and he he does certainly have both. Like you said, Hamza, he's so much fun to watch. Um, his dribbling stats are insane. And like Joshua said as well, this calendar year with goal tr- contributions, he's been killing it. Uh, and he's carried that into this season. I think a goal and two assists already. And the goal that he did get as well is a very early goal of the season contender. Um, probably the easiest as, easiest assist of all time from um, Purvis Estupinian as well for that one. Uh, but yeah, he's he's quality. I think he could be the next um, massive money Brighton sale, uh, and you know they'll probably just replace him with someone else that they'll sell for a hundred million two seasons later. I still it's think crazy. Evan Ferguson will will be sold before Karu Mitoma. That's just my opinion. On that. I'd agree. Yeah, I think he's going to go to uh, to Arsenal. Unfortunately, and now I'm going to speak to some of the, one of the best dribblers I've ever seen in a five a side game. Talk about one of the best dribblers I've ever seen in the Premier League. Go on, Suki. Talk to us about how Kawuru Mitoma, basically, when you're seeing some of these purchases from Brighton and you see some of them being moved over straight, where you've seen McAllister move over, we've seen um, so many other players move from Brighton. Do you think if he stays at Brighton, Brighton can actually build a proper European base team now as well? Because we've seen so many teams going in and out of Europe. Aston Villa, for example. Um, but yeah, can can Kaoru Mitoma become the poster boy Brighton and Hove Albion going forward in the future, not just another one of these sales? What do you think, Suki? No, yeah, I was going to say, Hams, don't make me blush about the dribbling highlights. Uh, they are on YouTube. They uh, are on but... YouTube. We'll send the link to Grace and to Joshua <laughs> later. That's sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. Not, not to be booted or anything. But, um, but yeah, like you say, though, I think he could be that poster boy for Brighton. I think when, when you look at their scouting network, someone needs to be purchasing that scouting network team because the job that they're finding around the world is insane. And I think when you look at it, they're buying place for like three odd and then they're sending them off for like 100. I mean, there's just levels to that kind of sort of business. And that kind of squad's there to spend it on the place. So they can spend mil, 20 mil, and buy kind of even youngster gems from like, say, from the Germany or the French League. Uh, but just for Matoma itself, when I think pretty much everything from everyone said in this in, in this kind of call is distant of what he studied at uni because I want to see what he had in that essay to talk about dribbling and how he was going to do it because whatever he said on that essay, he's 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 making it a point of what he's doing on the pitch, right? He's displaying it. So um, I, if anyone's got any kind of links that he knows that he's got his uh, dissertation anywhere or his essays when he was at uni, I'd love to see it because the way he's applying that kind of theoretical knowledge onto the pitch is just outrageous, yeah. Apparently, Mitoma's actually published his th- his thesis publicly as well, so I think we'll have to pull that up after the podcast and get Google Translate to translate from that. Japanese to English, which will be um, a good deciphering project for us, which will be quite nice. But yeah, great work, everyone, on 
uh, Premier League's player focus for this week as well. Now we're going to finalise the podcast with our free games to watch across Europe. So again, we're doing our match day previews. And in honour of Grace being here, we are going to be talking, unfortunately for me and for Joshua, about Newcastle versus Liverpool um, coming up this weekend. So that's our first Premier League game that we're going to be talking about. Joshua, take us away with Newcastle United and take us away in terms of how Eddie Howe is going to compete on four fronts because Travis uh, Suki and I, we spoke about it in quite a big detail last week. I want to hear your thoughts on Newcastle United this season and how they're going to compete. Yeah, I think I think they're still going to be up there for top four. Um, they have such a solid base of a side. Um, everybody, because of Europe, has been introduced. It's going to be a, a very difficult task. But it's not like last season where you have a sandwich Europe where it's Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, lead up to the World Cup. You will have games spread it out and a bit of Carabao Cups. And it's how he rotates and how he deals with the away games, which will be the problem in terms of coming back to play in the Premier League on the Sunday. But I think the Tenali signing makes sense. It's a, it's a healthy midfield. Willock's fantastic under Adi Howe. Jodleton's good. They've got a goal scorer in Isaac. Um, and when you've got a goal scorer, that bells you out. And they've got another one in Wilson. And they've added with Barnes. I, I think they've got a nice tidy squad to compete in all four fronts. Are they going to reach you know, the latter stages of um, Champions League. I mean, it's difficult. They're, they're seeded third, if I'm correct, or, or maybe fourth. So they're going to maybe have a, a difficult group to get out of. But if they were to get out of the group, then, you know, that'd be fantastic for them. But I, they've shown in the first two games, everybody was predicting that Aston Villa would be decided to knock on the door for top six, very excited on the Emery. They blew them away. Um, and then they were very respectable uh, Saturday, on Saturday, you know, to go to the Etihad and limit you know, Manchester City, I know they only had one shot on target, I think Newcastle, but look, City can blow anyone away at, at that ground. Look what they did to Real Madrid in that second leg of the Champions League. So they go there and they have a really tough, t- um, they have a tough fixture list on paper, you know, Manchester City, Liverpool, starting at Villa. I think they've got someone difficult as well just before the international break. Top of my head. I think it's Brighton actually, Brighton away. So that's a hard start. And they've, you know, they could possibly, they've got three points already. Um, and for them, maybe they, they look at the, the traditional top six teams. They're still as free hit, but they're not. They're no, they're no mugs. And I think everybody has predicted them to kind of fall out and disappear. You have got to look at the, the play I then. You know, Botman, Lewis Hall add a lot there from the left. You know, left back position replacing Dan Byrne. They've got a good goalkeeper and Pope. They're, they're not going away, in my opinion. They're not. I think they're going to have a good season. Yeah, one of the key battles that we want to look at today is Mohamed Salah versus Dan Byrne. And Travis, this is where you're going to come in as well because we've spoken glowingly, un- uncharacteristically, I've spoken glowingly about Liverpool and Mohamed Salah, mostly because of Grace's appearance. So nicely done there, Grace. This happens once a year for us to talk about Man- uh, Liverpool in a positive light. But Travis, talk to me about um, Dan Byrne. How can he actually prevent Mohamed Salah from having an easy ride, um, a goal or assist he can prevent against Mohamed Salah? Where can Dan Byrne prevent that for Ham- Mohamed Salah? A difficult one for him. I think he's going to have to be on, you know, absolutely top form. Uh, he's had a really good run in the team under Eddie Howe, but I don't think anyone would call him an elite defender. Um, I think if you were picking the perfect back four to try and stop Mo Salah, I don't think Dan Byrne would be anywhere near it. Um, I, I like him. I think he's a good defender, but I think he will struggle against uh, against Salah. Um, you know, he's he's so quick, uh, Salah. And to be fair to Bernie, he is deceptively quick for a guy of his size, but he he, ain't, he hasn't got Salah pace. Um, he's got just got to try and stop him from using that pace. Don't give him the space to go into, um, you know, maybe sort of 
and that's difficulty with Salah. I was about to say maybe drop five yards deeper and, and you know let him have the ball. But if you let him have the ball, he'll take a fantastic pass, um, like he did into Luis Diaz um, for for, uh, for the Chelsea game, first week of the season. So, you know, I'm not a Premier League defender. I've got no advice for him, but. I think he's just going to have to have, uh, you know, a really, really strong game, uh, keep his concentration, try to not really give him the space to operate, but also not really give him a chance to go past him. Uh, it's going to be a tough game for Dan Byrne, tough game for Newcastle, I think, as well. You could have just said elbow him in the face and get it over and done with. Take the yeah, to be fair, and move on. Yeah, pull a, uh, what was it, Sergio Ramos in the final? Pull, pull a Sergio uh, Ramos. Go for, go for one of them. Over and done with, it would be crazy. Uh, yeah. but, Grace, now this is your domain. This is where you're going to be talking about your beloved Liverpool Football Club and especially um, because you were talking about your midfielders um, earlier as well because the key battle for me, in my opinion, is the midfield battle. You've got Bruno Guimaraes. You've got the new boy Sandro Tonali from AC Milan. They're going to be facing off against um, Alexis McAllister, Dominic Sobos, Soboslai, as you pronounce it, Soboslai um, as well, and potentially Curtis Jones in that midfield as well. How do you see this game going from a Liverpool point of view? And how do you see this midfield battle going, especially because, as we know, Liverpool has always been about heavy metal football, energy, all of that in between. What's your thoughts on this game so far, Grace? Yeah, so to be honest with you, I am 50-50. I am not overly confident I feel like Liverpool have to be on their top form um, because last season it's actually quite funny Newcastle obviously exceeding third in the Premier League but we beat them at home and away so we can play them obviously thank you for getting Nick Pope sent off by the way I, that was great for the Carabao Cup final what to say sorry thanks for getting Nick Pope sent off um, in that game against in that game against Newcastle because yeah. he couldn't play in the Carabao Cup final so we'll always be appreciative of that yeah always and then you won then didn't you <laughs> um, but yeah I feel like uh, up front I am so confident you know we've got five players there that if Klopp was to swap someone I'd be fine with that it's our midfield that we're worrying about we've got Andy Robert and Trent but I feel like they still make their mistakes defensive-wise, and they're not there in time. We need a midfielder. And will Enzo be that? Like, I really don't know with him. Um, obviously, McAllister, I don't know if you know, but his red card has been appealed. Um, has it been rescinded? Yeah, it's been rescinded. No so. way! Joshua, yeah. you went in the wrong room on the weekend. You should have banned, you should have banned them from rescinding that at all. That's, I'm there what? on Saturday. I'm, I'm going to have a word. I'm going to have Thought a them out. They, got, they didn't give us the penalty against Spurs and you, they, get, they gave the red card back to McAllister. No way. No, yeah. it's not good stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, you know what I always say with the AR, like back in the day, it wasn't intense as how it is now. And now it is. Like, it really is. But it's like even little things. But I feel like we're Liverpool, they need to, you know, have a good form. Curtis Jones, Harvey Elliott, I'm not too sure if they're good, good enough. Um, but it's just who we go with. Like, it, it is questionable for Liverpool. Like, who who do we have? We don't have Arte Vokarigis or Jeannie Wijnaldum so who can come in and make a difference. We, we, we're not having that at the minute because that Chelsea game, I went and literally... 50 minutes in I went we're not going to score here I, we literally I just knew it oh when Nunes nearly scored a banger at the end if that went in that would have been crazy should have come on sooner I think I really think what Klopp's doing is like not playing him 
Um, I, I don't understand what he's going with the logic there because I feel like put him on, I feel like he could make a difference, but it's all in Klopp's hands and you've got to have faith in him. But yeah, I, I would have loved to vote two signings for him because we've got like tough people that we're playing. So yeah, and Chelsea with the... We've drew with them seven times now. It's it's mad. <laughs> That's always a game you don't have to watch live. You can always watch okay. it, watch it on match of the day or on YouTube. You want to be a draw as well, and it saves you going in the future as well, Grace, because it saves you um, going away to London all the time. I know um, it's true. It's, it happens. It. it's like Man United and Wolves. It's always a one nil. Like I went to the game against Wolves one nil. Was like oh, for us <laughs> this time, not against not for Wolves, uh, which is great fun. Um, but yeah, Suki, you're finishing off this one and you're starting the next one. So give us your score predictions and give us what your your thoughts on the game will be for uh, Newcastle versus Liverpool. And then I'll get you started on the next game for us. Yeah, definitely. I think prediction-wise, I'm going to go for Newcastle win 3-1. And reasons for that is because St. James has now become a fortress. And it's, it's, it's virtually pretty much now becoming impossible to play there with all that pressure. It's like a cauldron now. And then when you look at when I look at all the teams in the Prem, I think Newcastle got the best midfield out of all the teams. It's very solid. It's very rigid. It's very structured. Even more than Man City. I mean, City are just a cheat code, right? So I mean, that's just, best team in the world, in there, well, isn't it? Unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, we've got to put them in their own bubble. But I think the next the next big kind of midfield trio you look at, it's I think that Tenali signing, like Joshua said, yeah, that's just like marquee. I think signing of the, signing of the season, I reckon. Uh, but yeah, going to go for a 3-1 win. Nicely done. And the next game we're talking about today is Villarreal versus FC Barcelona. And yeah, talking about FC Barcelona, Xavi Ball after getting sent off first game of the season. It's crazy. We're going to be talking to Suki, obviously being um, someone who's been to Barcelona quite a few times, about how, realistically speaking, Barcelona can retain um, the La Liga title. They've had a few hit and misses so far this season. Coming up, preseason wasn't the best for them. Where's the positive in this Barcelona side going into La Liga season for you? I think it's just embedding the youngsters. I think I think for Barcelona now it's it's become to that point where you, you've got an amazing academy with top top talent. Really, you've got an, you've won the league last season. You can focus on now building up a team, especially with these youngsters coming through. Uh, but, but I think we, we Barcelona is very. I always say this: they're just mid. It's just very mid in terms of whatever they do. It's just like everything is just very average and it's kind of like, okay, Xavi's trying to play that kind of old school style Barcelona football, but it's just the players are just not really receptive to it. And I think the team has changed from what it was 10, 15 years ago, right? The way yeah. that Pep played in the, like 09, 10, 2010 days. But I think for Barcelona, the saving grace is watching their academy products coming through. And I think having the likes of Pedro Gavi and uh, I want to butcher his name. I think it's uh, your mark. Yeah, your mark. 16 year old. Yeah, it can ask Travis. He cooked us in preseason. I think that's a, a, a light in the in a, a lighting star in their kind of kind of dark days at the moment with their financial kind of issues. Uh, but I think yeah, for Barcelona, I think what we'll see this season is a lot more youngsters being embedded into the team. And I think that will be kind of really key for Xavi to kind of build up the next kind of dynasty for Barcelona. I think you'll start to see the shape of it coming up now this season. Definitely. And Grace, I wanted to get your thoughts, obviously, being from Barcelona as well. I didn't know that before the podcast, so it is a stroke of luck we are talking about Barcelona today. Um, they have made one key signing after making three signings this summer. And I want to talk to you about Ilkay Gundogan and how big of a miss he will be um, for Ma uh, Man City, but how big of a gain it is to see him at Barcelona. And I want to know your thoughts on how well Gundogan, Pedri, Frankie de Jong will be for this um, Barcelona side going forward this season. What do you think, Grace? 
Yeah, so I feel like it is, obviously, in this for City. Do we know if City are doing the right thing? Because, you know, week on, week out, when we do play City, it's always, you know, good results for them. So it might just be like a loss for them that people might not remember as such. But for Barcelona, I feel like they've got a good form. And especially when they've been playing in pre-season and like the start, they've started off with a really, you know, like good same start of the season and with Villa Real I feel like it's just hit and miss with them I feel like the form especially defensive wise I think they need to sign a few more people because at the end of the day when, when I'm saying who are we going to put on to make a difference Villa Real won't as such have that um, and Barcelona you know the, it's Real Madrid and Barcelona but I feel like Barcelona could maybe top Real Madrid in time again and build that up. Um, but yeah, I feel like it could be like 4-0 to Barcelona, thinking high of them. It could, it could be the case. And Joshua, I want to talk to you a bit about how Villarreal have lost quite a few big players this summer as well. Nicholas Jackson to Chelsea. They've lost Paul Torres to Aston Villa as well. Samuel Chukwueze to AC Milan and they've lost Arnaud Danjuma to Everton as well. So... Big loss this summer for Villarreal. And like Grace said, with the money that they've got coming in, I think they've, they've netted around 30, 40 million euros. And for La Liga, that's quite a big sum of money as well. Where do you see Villarreal kind of competing in this game against Barcelona? Do you see them actually finding any key battles anywhere? Or do you think it's going to be a straight win for Barcelona? What do you think? I think Barcelona will win. Um, it's been, I know the question about Villarreal, but for Barca, they didn't win an opening day away from home. So they need to get that, that monkey off the back. Viral coming to after beating Mallorca. Um, so that's a bit of confidence for them. But when you've lost so many players, it's about being compact. When Barcelona, Real Madrid, and you can say the likes of Atletico Madrid, if they're coming to town. But Viral, the last few seasons, they've been able to go deep into Europe two seasons ago, you know, semi final against Liverpool. But now you're looking at a new team. They've obviously lost their manager as well, who's for an over a year or coming up to a year in this particular fixture. Just about being compact with the runners. Um, like the guys have said, Barcelona have a lot of mid-players. They don't have that star quality. And Javi's trying to implement a, a style that, I wouldn't say necessarily is not suited to this squad of players, but the quality is just not there. Um, so, yeah. So if you're able to just kind of find a way to to, to stay with, with Barcelona as the game goes on, then, then, then you're fine. But they have to reinvest. And there's only one week left of the transfer window, losing Nico Jackson and... Chiquese and Juma, the players that you've mentioned, it's always going to be a big blow, but a bit around on those sides that they pop up now and again. You know, they disappear. Pal Torres is another player they've obviously lost as well. Um, so they, every, every couple of years, they have a new selection of players. I wouldn't be too worried, but in this in this fixture, you, you expect Javi's man to get the job done. Definitely. And Travis, the boy that they've signed this summer for free from Stoke-on-Trent, who played in Blackburn Rovers, Ben Beraton-Diaz, the Chilean international, who's actually English, but he's got a Chilean... It's kind of like with Grace. She's got family in two different countries, so she could claim nationality on two different yeah. sides as well, which yeah. is crazy. So Beraton-Diaz somehow became Chilean overnight and became a much better player, moving to Villarreal. Travis, talk to me. How can Ben Beraton-Diaz get the best out of Ronald Araujo, one of the best centre-backs in the world last season, not even... Um, in La Liga last season, where do we where do we see a key battle here? Is it more from the back line from Barcelona, or is it going to be a midfield battle for this one, Travis? I think um, realistically, there's there's more chance of Barcelona's um, attackers causing problems for 
the Villarreal defence. But Breton Diaz is 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 a dangerous player. I think you know you could say that he was probably the best player in the championship last season. Yeah. Um, and you know that's although it's the second division in England, that's that's no mean feat. It's a really really tough league, um, and you have to be a fantastic player to to stand out, and especially to be the best player in the league. So. Yeah, undoubtedly, it's a step up. You know, he's gone from Millwall away uh, last season to to Barcelona, so it, it is a big step up. And it's that's a big like Suki every in... Saturday to Sunday, every week going from Millwall to, to to Barcelona, isn't that right, Suki? South London to South Spain has to be done. Has to be done. Nah, it's good to see. But yeah, Travis, um, just finalise what you were going to say for us, please, on that. Yeah, I think. Um, my sort of final thoughts on it, I think like everyone, so I'd mirror what everyone said. I think Barca are probably going to have a, a relatively easy day. I think in terms of the season um, on a whole, I don't think that they will be able to um, retain the title. I do think it's going to be Real Madrid's this season. Just think the way that Madrid have improved and the way that Barca have dropped off. I mean, going from Sergio Busquets to Oriol Romeo, it's got to be one of the biggest downgrades of any position that I've ever seen um, oh, so I think, Paul, I think Paul Romeo you know catching strays from Travis here former oh, Southampton come on. yeah I just Busquets is one of the greatest players of all time man. and Romeo was bang average for Southampton just mm. very weird um, Joshua touched on something that I wanted to have a quick um, mention of as well um, I think it was a really good point when he said that the players that Barca have got at the moment Aren't, just are not good enough to play the system that Xavi wants to play. And the reason that Pep Guardiola Barcelona team from those years ago was so good was that they had, you know, an elite system, but they had elite players in in every position. You know, they had Xavi, they had Iniesta, they had Messi, David Villa, they had all these fantastic players, and Barca just don't have that. So, yeah, I think I think they'll have a, a relatively easy ride this weekend, but I think for the season as a whole. Um, I don't think they'll be they'll be crowned champions again at the end. No, nicely done. Good thoughts there, Travis. Good thoughts from everyone. Final game, we're going off to Italy, to Syria, as it's back again. And I'm looking forward to seeing what controversial things come out of Syria, as they always tend to do this, um, this season as well. We're going to AC Milan versus Torino. And Joshua, I'm starting with you. I'm talking about Rafael Liao being one of the best youngsters in mm. European football, but lacking that consistency in front of goal um, for the national side as well. How do you rate Rafael Liao? Is he going to be one of the best players to watch in Europe this season or is he going to be just here, there, a bit of everywhere? What do you think about Rafael Liao? It's one of the most rawest talents in European football. Um, a year ago, he, he was the player that was linked to, to replace maybe a Riyad Mahrez and now City are going through the docu route. He's, he, in, in Syria, to have a player with that quality and that skill set, it, 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 it's, it's needed because it's kind of a trump card. It's not, you don't really see that much uh, outside the top four. So for Milan, it, it balances the left side. Um, obviously, Giroud, they brought in Pulisic as well. But Liao, is, he's exciting. But consistency, as you said, Hamza, consistency is the problem. And if you're inconsistent in the Serie A league, in any way, they're not going to kick the byline and a lot of it's possession-based in the middle. You're going to struggle to get out. But he still excites. Um it was disappointed in the champion. I know he was injured and in the semi-final, he impressed a few times against Chelsea. But there is a player there. I personally think there's a player there. When you're that tall, you're that skillful, 
it's about coaching as well as the environment, right? At, at AC Milan, I think there was all the debates about the finance of his contract and, you know, all haggling there. Now that's settled, we might get a more settled Raphael. But he's a, he's, a, he's a name and a player that I think should excite all of us because we still need to see that, those types of players in European football and world football. We, we kind of have robots all the time. Unfortunately, that Pep's kind of... I blame Pep Guardiola for that. No, <laughs> got my name for that. <laughs> definitely. Pep's just loving the system, not loving the individual as well. And Grace, I need to talk to you about a couple of individuals that have moved to AC Milan as well. We've had a few Premier League signings in Ruben Loftus-Cheek. We've seen um, Christian Pulisic move over there, both from Chelsea respectively. Realistically speaking, with AC Milan signing some of these players, you mentioned about... Saudi Arabia, a lot of players going over to Saudi Arabia. Do you still think Serie A is a good plan B for Premier League players who can't really cut it in England? What do you think about that, Chris? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think with English football, the Premier League, it's probably one of the hardest to get into. We see it, you know, when we have players coming over for us, some people can't even speak English and they don't have that English discipline. So it can take seasons so, for example, if there's been a red card, like, for example, remember when Nunes had butted the player? Oh, yes, Yucky Namdeson, his home yeah. debut as well. Fun times it was. It was the debut and we were like, oh, my God, what, what are you doing? But, yeah, I, am, I have a name, Cousin, and he he's went from Everton um, to Leeds to MK Dons and then he's thinking of going over to like Barcelona and doing European football and I think European football is the way forward because the rules the relegations there the VAR like I feel like it's more plans better than the English football and I feel like these players that have been signed from Chelsea and and they'll they'll grow with European football because when they get in the Champions League or the Europa they need to have that experience because it's completely different exactly like you said they'd rather have the game time elsewhere than actually sitting on the bench and when they get their opportunity in the Premier League they're not cut up to standard as well it's like what happened with Fekeo Tomori moving from Chelsea all the way to AC Milan and then winning a Scudetto winning a league in, in Italy as well he had that experience to get that as opposed to being a bench player um, at Chelsea as well and Suki for one of the tactical battles I want to challenge you to is basically we're going to talk about um, Per Scherz, the new signing for Torino at centre-back as well. And we're really not sure how they're going to set up because there's no Zlatan Ibrahimovic. I'm pretty sure they've only got Giroud as their main striker now. And they've got all these wingers. They've got Chukwesi from Villarreal, Leao, Christian Pulisic. They've got Junior Messias as well. Is that too much firepower for Torino to handle against AC Milan? Or could we see an upset perhaps? What do you think, Suki? I think I think the way the way Torino have played and they played like this last season with the, with a three at the back or a five depending on which teams they play, I think they're going to frustrate AC Milan. Just just like you said in that point, AC Milan is still trying to find out their team. And like Joshua said, where you've got Giroud and Liao playing as like the kind of definitely the front two, I think you're going to see a lot of changes just to kind of get the feelers in. And I think with the Torino, they're going to frustrate him throughout the whole game for the full ninety minutes. So I think for me, my prediction was was actually one one. Because I just haven't got a clue from AC Milan who's actually going to start on the left or the right. And that I makes think two with of us, so it's all good. It's going to be crazy exactly, yeah. this season. When you watch Torino, they're very solid. Back enough, they've emphasised those solid three defenders at the back where you've got two functional, two mobile kind of centre-backs on the left and the right. And then one kind of like your Harry Maguire in the middle-esque kind of uh, hardhead. Uh, but yeah, I think two are going to frustrate him. And I think, um, yeah, it's like, it's like 
kind of what Joshua said about Liao trying to try and push on. The Italian league is very difficult like that because it's very defensive. So trying to get in between two lines of defence is uh, it ain't easy for someone of that kind of flair. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I think Torino, it's a perfect setup for them to get them on the counter-attack if they can get a goal or sneak a win. So yeah, I've got to go for a 1-1. Nicely done. And Travis, just to finalise as well, um, it is the first season since I believe 1999 where we, we will not see Zlatan Ibrahimovic start a, a league season anywhere in the world. So it's crazy to think how literally Zlatan Ibrahimovic has been playing football for as long as you've been alive. Do you know how mad that is, Travis? Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Um, that would probably make him feel quite old if he uh, if he saw that. But, if he heard um, that as well, that's that's mad. I'm not going to assume that about Joshua and Grace because I don't want to be rude about your ages, but it's definitely older than Travis as well. So uh, it's all good in that respect as well. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's no more Zlatan Ibrahimovic in world football. That shows how literally time is changing and is not even going over for another, another payday in the USA or something. It's just going to be elsewhere, but... Um, what's your thoughts on AC Milan for this season and can they challenge with all the players that they've lost, Travis? I think um, it's probably a very important season for, for AC Milan, really. I think last season, you look at the title defence, they ended up finishing fourth, 20 points off the eventual winners. Obviously, Napoli were were monstrous and finished miles ahead of everybody, but to finish that far off the pace when they won the title the, the previous season was sort of undoubtedly disappointing. Um, they have had a massive overhaul this season. Obviously, there's a couple of quite high-profile departures. Obviously, Tonali's gone to uh, to Newcastle. Ibrahimovic has retired, like you mentioned. So they have had to um, complete a bit of an overhaul of the, of the squad. You mentioned earlier uh, Loftus-Cheek coming in. Um, they signed a couple of other midfielders as well. Yunus um, Musa, another one from uh, Valencia. What um, player he is. Yeah, US men's national team international looks a really good player. Had a He's good a US men's national well. team with a London accent. Don't get yeah. that. Don't get yeah. that. He chose the weird, wrong nationality. Weird combo. Weird combo. Um, but yeah, I think it, it could be sort of make or break for Pioli. I think the new players need to settle in and they need to settle in quickly, especially the forward players, you know, Pulisic and, uh, and Chuck Wazy, who were mentioned earlier. They need to replace the, you know, the goal scoring burden that has been lost essentially by Ibrahimovic. Um, they've lost a couple of other attackers as well. Rabic is gone. Um, they've loaned out uh, Charles de, Ca- de Ketelaire as well. So yeah, these players need to settle in quickly and they need to get to grips with Pioli's system quickly or else it could be another disappointing season for them. But they have signed a few very good players. So if they do gel quickly, you never know. They could uh, they could challenge. Definitely. Now it's going to be a fun season for AC Milan and us to watch out as a neutral as well which is great. Um, but yeah, that was fantastic, everyone. Great job there with our match day previews as well. I love the variety of topics to talk about, as always, which is great. And now we are at the end of the podcast, and this is where we say goodbye to Joshua and to Grace as well, and to obviously everyone listening. But before we say goodbye to everyone, I just want to get um, Josh and Grace's thoughts on this prediction. Who's finishing higher this season? Liverpool, Newcastle, or Man United? Out of the three, let's see, oh. let's see who's finishing higher out of the three. Obviously, Travis and Suki, you can play along as well because we know Spurs are still finishing ninth, but it's all good. <laughs> I'll let Grace go first, please. Okay. <laughs> so, United, Newcastle, and Liverpool. Yeah. I'd say United and Bottom, there's always a mix up that, that happens. So, I don't think they'll, they'll be confident, confident to get the top four this time. They were lucky. Mm. It, 
of course, say Liverpool because I'm I'm still not confident. Like this season, feel like maybe we could rebuild the season and then next season, like we're we're on top of City by you know when we won the league and twenty five points ahead. And then I'd say Newcastle because as we've been speaking about it, what 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 the managers done, what the clubs done as a whole, they brought amazing people on and. Yeah, it's it's a good form of a team. Nah, I, I I get that as well. I think that clock factor will come into Liverpool this season as well, uh, which will be great for Liverpool football as well. Joshua, agree or disagree? What's your top three in terms of? Um, I think United will be bottom. Yeah, unfortunately, as it stands, so I think there's some movement in the window, and I mean a lot depends on Man United's Hoyland. Yeah. Um, the last two games, somehow we've we've created only Brighton created more opportunities than us. Now, how the hell that's happened? Yeah. Um, the underlying numbers are good, so I think Royland is a striker that goals. Then I think I'm pretty light first. I'll be honest with you. But right now, as it stands, I have to be honest. No, I think I'll put United below. Um, I'd say Newcastle just above us. Although I think they'll be very settled and they're very competitive. Um, it's Liverpool's firepower, you know, Tottenham, Manchester United, Chelsea. Even after a certain degree, we all struggle for goals. But Liverpool, you know you're going to get a goal from Diaz or Jota or Salah. Nunes might come off the bench. McAllister might chip in. Sobosai can you know, ping one in. Goals always get you points, you know. If Fernandes and Rashford gets that header on Saturday, we probably don't lose the game. I'm not saying we're going to win the game. We don't lose the game. Goals Anthony scores that one-on-one chance instead of hitting the post. Yeah, yeah, there you go. It's such an obvious thing, but it, it changes everything. Everybody becomes nervous. It's a different game automatically. I mean, you've got someone like Mohamed Salah, who's just a goal magnet, goal assist magnet. It's it, you, You're going to always be there about. Liverpool were dreadful last season, but nearly got top four because they had someone like that in their ranks. So I always think you have to trust him and uh, and Jurgen Klopp. Um, so that's why I'd go for Liverpool above, above um, Manchester United. As it stands, though, as it stands, I'll come back on this pod and... <laughs> later in the season and flip that but as it stands yes Liverpool I predict unfortunately nicely done I'm going to go for Newcastle bottom I think Champions League will impact and hinder their season then I'm going to go for Liverpool and then I'm going for Manchester United I believe I have to believe because if I don't believe <laughs> it's not going to be fun and I'm just glad that this week of all weeks we got rid of MG11 from our club he who shall not be named at all because we don't like him at all um, um, yeah. but yeah yeah, we won't mention him at all. Um, but yeah, I, I'm going to believe in Manchester United, even though I'm looking sad and sour because last season I did the same thing and we finished in the top four. So I was quite happy with that, which is not too bad. And uh, Suki, Travis, one question for you. Yes or no answer with, with Tottenham Hotspur. The Harry Kane curse has has left Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> is this now time for Tottenham Hotspur to win a trophy on the Ange Postecoglou? No theory, no yes or no, none of that. Just yes or no. So, Travis, are you going to win a trophy this season under Ange Postacoglu? Yes or no? Yes. Oi, that's what I like to hear. Go on, Travis. And Suki, yes or no? I'm going to back Travis's world statement, so yes. <laughs> <laughs> Not because Spurs are good, because they've got to back Travis. I, I see how it is. <laughs> nah, that's crazy. That's really good. And it's been a really, really good podcast today, and I'm loving this new format. And I've loved having these two amazing guests that we've had on to Joshua Wishing you all the best in um, this season as well. Going into nine years of Coventry this season, which is insane. And like I said, we may be seeing you on our screens and on our radios over the season as it goes on, which will be great. So nicely done there, Joshua. And do you have, any, you, do 
you have any social medias you wanted to plug or anything you wanted to plug before you just, we wrap up? Just okay. just Twitter. Um, J underscore Don Course. So that's D-O-N-K-O-R. And you'll find all, all my tweets where games I go to and upcoming games and all those types of things. And the passcode to the VAR locker room in Stockley Park as well, just so we can <laughs> get got, in they've there. Got, they've, got, they've got a new building now. So I don't think my pass will get me in, unfortunately. Oh, no. um, I'll, I'll try and try and get a kit and, you know, mingle in the best we'll I can and get. We'll do like one of those imposter videos that you see on like Beta Squad wearing like the fake McDonald's outfit, fake yeah. referee outfit going into there. <laughs> It'll be good. And Grace, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. You've been amazing. And I don't normally say that about Liverpool fans, but you actually have, which has been great to, to have you on as well. And keep up the great work you've been doing with men's mental health. Sometimes it feels like our podcast is kind of alone when we're talking about men's mental health within football. So great to see the work that you're doing. And anything you want to plug and shout out to our listeners as well, the, the time is yours, Grace. It's been a pleasure speaking to you and meeting you. And it's always great to talk about football. It's like being with your mates in the pub. Um, but yeah, I use LinkedIn quite a lot. That's like quite my platform because social media, I'm like, I'm not fussed on. But yeah, it's Match Day Gab. You can look at podcasts there. I also do another podcast called LFC Transfer Room. That's every Sunday at half seven. So got like a big following on that now. Um, and then I'm actually in London on Monday because I'm filming for the um, football show. I Ooh. can't really say much, um, but I'm excited for that because this will be me first thing like properly live on telly when I'm able to speak. Um, and yeah, so yeah, like, um, Grace X Merit on Twitter quite funny on Twitter to be fair um, but yeah that's fine <laughs> nicely done and this podcast obviously goes out on Friday this week so by Monday we'll be able to see what um, the big reveal is so Grace nicely done and all the best in the future which will be great Travis and Suki it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast as always you are um, the two nicest Spurs fans I've ever seen so thank you for not rubbing it in this week and, and keeping it civil I know after the podcast you'll be messaging me memes of Man United losing but it is what it is which is great fun but Suki pleasure as always my friend I'm looking forward to seeing you next week and Travis is always a pleasure and we've got a busy week ahead of us in terms of getting this foot golf video out and everyone who's listening and for you guys watching as well we'll send you our foot golf videos um, if you haven't seen them already on our social medias which is great fun but yeah, everyone, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much all for your time. Take care and we will see you next week. Goodbye. See you later.